Thank you, Kit and Barbara, for our music tonight. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in the book of Hosea tonight. As we're going through this Old Testament book on Sunday evenings, Hosea chapter 4 and part of chapter 5 tonight. Chapter 4 in the book of Hosea, out of 14 chapters, starts the second section of the book. So it's kind of interesting that the first three chapters covers uh, that relationship between Hosea and his wife Gomer and how that parallels uh, the relationship between God and Israel. But then from chapter 4 to the end of the book, you have large sections. And I'm going to kind of do this like this. There are four sections here. The first one is in chapter 4 and 5 about the sins of Israel. We're going to look at that tonight. And then in chapter 6 to 8 is their refusal to repent. And I'm going to take that as one message also. And then in 9 and 10, God's judgment. But then when we get to chapter 11 through 14, we're going to slow down a little bit because that's the restoration of Israel. Those are the real prophetic chapters of the book of Hosea of what's going to happen in the end time when God restores Israel. So we're approach the book like that. So we are going to be gone for a couple weeks, special speaker next week, and then Father's Day after that. Uh, but we'll get back to uh, Hosea. So tonight we're looking at chapter 4 and uh, a little bit of chapter 5 about what I call God's charge against a nation. As God says to Israel, this is what you've done and this is what's going to happen because you have done. I read this quote from Thomas Jefferson, of all people, the President of the United States. He said, way back then, indeed I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. God is a just God. He doesn't overlook things. He doesn't let it go unanswered. And even he said that. I remember in a movement that I grew up in, uh, there was a very good evangelistic uh, missionary type of movement. And one of the founders, a man that I really enjoyed, Noel Smith, who was not only a professor of mine, but also the editor of their newspaper, said way back then in the beginning of a movement, he said, the seeds of our destruction are already sown. Why does a thing like that happen? Because we have fallen natures and all human beings do. And things usually with people with fallen natures don't get better, they get worse. And we forget as time goes on. But God doesn't forget. We read a verse in our Wednesday night Bible study this week where Jesus himself said, don't fear those that can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. I think that's good news, that of all things that can happen in this world, no one can kill the soul. There's nothing a person can do to your soul. But I want to say also that no one can change the sinful human nature. It's in us all. Now, God's grace comes and saves us from it, and God's grace comes and overrules it and helps us then to live with that old nature that we have until death does us part, <laughs> and then that sinful nature is gone. But as long as we have that sinful nature, sin is in this world. And praise the Lord, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you because you're a believer, uh, then he neutralizes that. As a matter of fact, he allows you to have victory over that. But how many people in this world do not have the Holy Spirit living within them, do not have that witness from God? 
And so that is what happens. If we ask the question, does, does God bless then or remove blessings from a nation? Well, number one, Israel is unique. Israel was God's people. Israel had special promises from God for specific things that they were supposed to do and follow. The Mosaic Law, of course, being the largest of it. Our whole Old Testament, from the book of Exodus all the way to Malachi, is about Israel and about God's relationship to Israel. He said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent. That's Israel. They're called by God's name. How about all other nations? How about America? How about Germany, the land of the Reformation? How about uh, England, uh, uh, the, the land of, of uh, theology and, and missionaries and the rest? Does God bless them and does God remove his blessing from them? My answer would be yes, that God does bless a nation and God honors those who honor him. And not only that, God does withdraw his blessing from them. Remember Psalm 33 that said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And uh, when a nation makes God their Lord and follows him, they're blessed. Proverbs 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, not just Israel, any people. And Job in Job 12 said, he, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. And so, yes, that can happen. What, how does God withdraw his blessing from a nation? I would give you four suggestions. Number one, he will let the earth take its course. You know, he made the earth to bring forth food. He made the earth to, to produce for us. But the earth can go through some pretty tough times, too. If God lets the world that is going downhill because of our sin take over, then we won't be blessed economically and agriculturally like we would be. Secondly, God lets human nature take its course. When God removes that restraint and lets evil men rule and lets evil people have their way, then he's removed his hand of blessing from that nation. Thirdly, God lets evil leaders lead. He allows people that are godless to lead people, and that's the way the nation goes. And fourthly, I would say, he lets then more godly nations have his blessings instead. And those that are more godly than that nation will get God's blessing. I think those things happen. We can heed and learn about these things from the book of Hosea chapter 4. As a matter of fact, chapter 4 verse 1, chapter 5 verse 1, you see that the first word in both of these chapters is hear. Hear what God has to say. Heed, we might even say, what God has to say. He's saying it to Israel, and in a very real way, he's saying it to all of us and to every nation. So notice in my outline that uh, I'm going to say five things from these two chapters, mostly from chapter 4, about what happens when God has to bring his judgment upon nations. And that's what these two chapters are about. First is that the knowledge of God is gone. Look at verse 1, again in chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Look at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I will reject you from being priests before me, because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Notice that secondly, my second main point is that the law of God is gone also, which he mentions in verse 6. Many of the prophets speak about this knowledge of God. Uh, Proverbs will tell us that it's something that we should seek after, that, that uh, to know wisdom is to know the knowledge of God. And listen yet to Isaiah. Thirteen times in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says that you have forgotten your knowledge of God. Isaiah 5.13, he says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Jeremiah then said the same kind of thing. My people are foolish, Jeremiah 4.22. My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. And Hosea, in chapter 6 of our book, verse 6, will say, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Don't just go through the motions with me. Bring me real knowledge of God. Now, again, I say Israel is God's people. Ish is the word for man in the Old Testament, and Israel means the people of God, El, Elohim, the people of God. So do you remember that in Romans 9, Paul gave the great advantages that that nation had to know God? Verse, Romans 9 and verses 4 and 5, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. I mean, think of the advantage that that nation had to know God and know him intimately, and yet, after all of these years, uh, they have backslidden away from God. Do we have advantages to know God? I would say we do. In this country we've grown up in with our history and uh, freedoms that we have and the Lord's day to be here and, and worship God, uh, we uh, stand in God, under God's judgment too if we don't have the knowledge of God that we need. We have access to facts. Facts have increased. That's, that's certainly true. Uh, the next time you want to search something on your computer with whatever search engine you find, just look at how many results it gets in about one second. Sometimes it can be millions of answers to your question in a second of time. Facts have increased, but has the knowledge of God increased? The love of truth, sadly, has almost disappeared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a coming tribulation coming, and when the church is gone and the Holy Spirit is removed from this world, 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that, uh, that they do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a tribulation passage. Pleasure in unrighteousness. And I think we're pretty close to that today. So here was Israel with all the advantages that they had and yet no knowledge of God among them, even among their leadership. Secondly, the law of God was gone. And again, the law, the Mosaic law was their constitution, you understand. When they came out of Egypt and God brought them to Mount Sinai, he gave them the law for their nation. And that's what they had to live by. And for, for 1,500 years, uh, they were obligated to live by that law. This is your, the constitution for your nation. It was a theocracy. We're, we're not a theocracy. The church is not a theocracy. But they were. God was their king. God was their leader. When, when they were right with God, it rained. The windows of heaven were opened. And when they were not right with God, it didn't rain. I mean, that's how dependent they were on their relationship with God and to the law of God. But we already read in verse 6 that uh, they had forsaken because you have forgotten the law of your God. Verse 10, they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Look back up at verse 2. And when you, look at, when you look at verse 2 of, cha of Hosea chapter 4, you know what you're seeing there? You're seeing half of the Ten Commandments. In other words, here, here are God's commandments to them. Again, uh, by swearing, that's the third commandment. Lying, that's the ninth commandment. Killing, that's the sixth commandment. Stealing is the eighth commandment. And committing adultery is the seventh commandment. So half of the commandments are here that they are not following God's laws. And God enumerates them here uh, for them. Now, Israel had a, a moral law. It had a civil law. It had a ceremonial law. They had to, to uh, worship God a certain way at the temple or tabernacle with the sacrifices, with the feast days, and all that. It was law. They had to do it. Uh, they, had, they had civil law, and those people who, who controlled everything and oversaw the nations, the, the prophet, priests, and kings, and there was a moral law, and the Ten Commandments are basically the moral law of God. Uh, you're, you're reading it here. You will do these things, or I won't bless you. And so when they departed from the law, the law of God, even these moral laws of God, this was coming upon them you know that the Ten Commandments are divided into two books, you might say, two halves of the Ten Commandments. Actually, the first four are directed to your relationship before God. In other words, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's referring to the first four commandments. Then the second six, or second book of the law, was what you do toward your neighbor. And the morality that you, you have toward your neighbor. So he said, the second is like unto itself, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the fulfilling of all of the law. And yet Israel, even in the Lord's day, had not followed it. Now to you and me, the whole Bible is God's law. I mean, we take it all as God's word. We know that we don't live in every dispensation. We live in this dispensation, in this age of grace. And so we read God's word 
even our New Testament that applies directly to church life and to Christian life, we read it as our law from God, and we should follow it. And any nation that's alive in the world today ought to follow these things too. So here's, the, here's your New Testament. Do you follow that? Here is the gospel, and we're commanded to evangelize and take the gospel to all the world. Do we do that? We are to gather ourselves together uh, in local churches and worship God that way. Do we do that? We are to maintain prayer and Bible study and a, and a righteous walk with God. Do we do that? So we can fall under this, the same lack of blessing from God for our uh, commands and what God has given us to do as much as Israel did in the Old Testament. So the law of God was gone. Thirdly, godly leadership was gone. So now go back to verse 4. Now let no man contend or reprove another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. In other words, have no respect for the leaders. Therefore, uh, or, or let me skip down to verse 8, I'm sorry, verses 8 and 9. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be, notice this statement, like people, like priest. What does that mean, like people, like priest? It means that the priests were no better than the people. It means that those that were leading could, you know, had no qualifications in themselves to lead the people. As bad as the people were in their sin, that's how bad the priests were also. Like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Look over at chapter 5 and verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10, he says, The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water, God says. Charles Lee Feinberg, in his great commentary on the minor prophets, uh, Dr. Feinberg, uh, writing about these things, said, The priests delighted in the sins of the people. <laughs> the, the priests enjoyed the sins of the people and had their hearts set on the people's iniquity because it brought them revenues and fines and offerings. They had a vested interest in the continued sin of Israel. I shouldn't even try to make an application from that to our day. A vested, a vested interest and profit in the sins of a nation. We, we have, you know, the, those profitable sins that we allow to go on in this country. So, so uh, the, the states through lotteries and the states through gambling and the states through all kinds of stuff can make a profit. So here we are. Godly leadership has, has failed also. Jeremiah, and I refer to Jeremiah's prophecies a lot because Jeremiah was a prophet right before the Babylonian captivity, just, just as Hosea is right before the Assyrian captivity. Jeremiah preached these same things and said many of these same things. So in Jeremiah's prophecy, 42 times he directs these kinds of words to the prophets who have failed, and 26 times he directs words like this to the priests that have failed in Jeremiah's prophecy. And so 
in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers are trans also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Ezekiel lived at that same time of the captivity. And Ezekiel 22, 30, he said, So remember these, I, I remember these words from when I was a boy. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. What's the last line? And I found none. I found none to do it in those days. Pretty sad, isn't it? And then Kent gave me these words because they came up in his devotion this week in the book of Job. Listen to this. I, I actually quoted the first one already. Job 12, 23 through 25. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. But verse 24 says, He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. He's talking about leadership now. Wandering in a pathless wilderness, they grope in the dark without a light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. The leaders of our people. And that's what happened, I think, in the leaders uh, of Israel, too. Do we have leadership from moms and dads, even in America? Do we have leadership in our families and broken families and fatherless children and, and all of those kinds of things? Pastors and teachers, do they offer better uh, leadership of their people than what they already have? You remember that, that poll that was taken by George Barna last year about uh, how many church leaders actually have a biblical point of view, and it was sad down in like the, the 10%, 20% of America's pastors even have a, a, a religious point of view. It, it was terrible. Education, business, government, and military, Congress, and our Supreme Court, if no one leads, no one follows. If leaders don't know what they're, where they're going, the nation doesn't know where they're going. And that happened to uh, Israel, and it can happen to any nation. So the knowledge of God is gone. The law of God is, was gone. Godly leadership was gone. And I say, fourthly, from these two chapters, separation from sin was gone. People didn't have a heart for it anymore didn't have what it takes to walk away from these things. Let me just read from verse 10 of, of uh, chapter 4 all the way through uh, verse 14. They shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. They have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops, burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, and taverns, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry, your bride, brides commit adultery, and I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go apart with harlots 
and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. No separation from sin was happening in those days. Hosea, by the way, twice will speak to this very thing. In Hosea 8.13, For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. Chapter 9, verse 9, they are deeply corrupted. As in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Do you remember that Isaiah said these words, Depart, depart, come out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Because Isaiah said it that way, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, quoted it and wrote it this way. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. A verse that we often quote, and rightfully so, uh, in our New Testament uh, Bible. And so, did Israel do that? No. Did they have every advantage to do it? Yes. They had the law of God. They had, they had the prophets, the priests, and the kings, and yet they didn't do it. Leviticus 11.14 says this very familiar statement. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. You know, in the book of Leviticus, the word holy is mentioned 95 times. It's written to the Levitical priesthood. It's written to the leaders of the nation. 95 times he had to tell them that they need to be holy. So they had a problem, didn't they? God brought them out of Egypt. God made them separate from idols and from nations. He, they were to evangelize those nations, but not to syncretize with those nations. They, they were not to become like them. As a matter of fact, they were to stay away from them. But you and I in the church are somewhat different than that because we don't gather together in one nation and make it only a Christian nation, and no other nation in the world is like that. We're scattered into all the nations of the world. We have believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, right now in nations where they're persecuted. Some nations are good, some are terrible. Some uh, have advantages like we have in America. Some, uh, like in the Middle East right now, believers are under great persecution. And so wherever the church is, we can't separate ourselves into one nation like Israel did. We have to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, wherever we are, and be holy there, and be people of God there. Of course, uh, you know, as someone said, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. It's one thing for the ship to be in the ocean, but when the ocean gets in the ship, you're in trouble. And we have to be in the world, but we cannot let the world be in us. What advantages do we have? Well, one is, as the church, the temple of God goes with us. You know, Israel, they, the temple was back there. The ark of God was back there. And they went out to battle, and yet God was back there, and the, and the ark was back there in Jerusalem. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. 
wherever we go in this world and whatever we face, God goes with us. And we, this temple we carry around with us. Which temple is holy, Paul will remind us many times. Not only that, the word of God goes with us. God has made it so that I look out uh, here and everybody has a Bible in their lap. You know how unusual that is in, in church history altogether? There were times when no one had one. There are places in the world right now where they would love to have you bring a box of Bibles so they can distribute it. I remember going to Russia in 1992 with my father-in-law after 70 years of oppression under the Soviet Union. And literally, you could stand on a street corner with a box of Bibles and people would run to where you are and that box would be gone in 60 seconds because they hadn't had it. And so we have these kinds of things. We have, the, we have a, a Savior who said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I'm always with you. So let's separate then. Let's be holy people. You be holy, Paul said, like Isaiah said, be holy because I'm holy. And then lastly, we had the, they had the godly examples were gone. So in verses 15, to 19, what is being said here when Judah is mentioned in verse 15, though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Basically, what he's saying is he points out Israel's sin. Judah, the example of Israel is gone. Don't look at her. Don't follow what Israel did. They are going into captivity. You will also if you do these same things. Of course, what we know historically is Judah did. They committed the same sins. They went into captivity too. So do not come up to Gilgal. Do not go up to Beth-Avon. That's where they would commit these uh, uh, um, idols and so forth. Nor swear an oath saying as the Lord lives. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. That is with no protection. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They're, they commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. The godly examples were gone. Again, let me quote some of the other prophets. Here's Isaiah, who, who talks about uh, uh, idolatry all the time. 522, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. 916, for the leaders of this people cause them to err, that they are led of them to destruction. The leaders, no examples to follow. 57 verse 1, the righteous perish and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And, by the way, Habakkuk uh, 1.4 will say, Therefore the law is powerless, justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. And so the examples are gone. There's no one left as a good example. An interesting little note that I read again from Dr. Feinberg is in, in chapter 4 and verse 17, notice the word joined. 
Ephraim is joined to idols. Now, Dr. Feinberg was a Jewish man himself. He knew the Hebrew language. He taught at Dallas Seminary. He, you know, was a great man of God in his generation. And he said this, the word rendered joined in verse 17 is the one employed in speaking of binding under a spell, bewitched by it, and utterly helpless in himself to extricate himself. He has so wholly given himself, mated himself to his senseless idols that only God's judgment remains for him. That's how strong that word was. They, they are joined to these idols. I think of our country today and I think how joined we are to idols, that we cannot depart from it. We, we do things that are absolutely a lie, absolutely senseless. And yet we are joined to them like we're under a spell and can't get out from under them. Well, the examples were gone. Where's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Long gone by now. Where's Moses and Joshua and the, and the judges? Long gone. David and Solomon even, long gone. Elijah and Elisha, not listening to them anymore. The examples were gone. And in America today, boy, I watch my grandkids grow up, and I, we, you know, my parents would always say, don't, don't idolize those people. Don't idolize those, those uh, you know, sports figures or, or movie stars or people like that. And boy, there aren't any left to idolize today. It's, it's really a sad thing. The examples in government are gone. The examples in entertainment are worse than, than our children are, of course. The examples in athletics are getting bad enough. The examples in education and big corporations. <laughs> Whatever happened to the J.C. Penneys and the Sam Waltons? I don't know where they went. Now we have Target. We can't even go there anymore uh, without openly agreeing to their pornography and what they have. Coke and Nike and, and the rest, I say this, don't, don't idolize any of them. I'm not just saying corporations, people. Don't idolize people who are ungodly. Don't support ungodliness. And not just to hurt them. I mean, I, I just told you, I, you know, I just have my own, my own boycotts that I do. And when something happens like this to a store, I got lots of other places to shop. I don't need to go there. And I'm glad when they get hurt financially for making stupid, immoral, ungodly decisions. For me, good. I'm glad. But you know what? I didn't do it just for that. I did it for my own conscience. I did it because I'm not going to support with my income and my hard work what they're doing. And if they want to do that, I'll go somewhere else. Well, you probably think the same way, I think. Now, go over to chapter 5 and right at the end of the chapter. And actually, this goes into the first part of chapter 6. As I had made the point once before, Hosea often ends a section with some words about the coming kingdom of God. All right, things look bad, but you know what? The kingdom is coming. Jesus will return someday. He will restore Israel someday. And so even the heading in my study Bible over verse 15 says the, the eventual restoration of, of Israel. Excuse me. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Chapter 6. 
come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. When he will come, you know, no matter how dark it gets for the church in the day, uh, in the last days of the church age, you know what's next? The rapture. <laughs> no matter how bad it gets, the Lord comes and immediately we're gone. Immediately we're rescued. And not only that, for Israel in the tribulation period, when this earth hits absolute bottom morally, uh, and theologically hits the absolute bottom you know what's next the glorious return of jesus to the earth to bring his kingdom to the earth so no matter how bad things get god has his way of making things right in the end oh he'll bring judgment and he'll bring judgment uh, in a severe way but he brings blessing and in the end god wins and <laughs> in the end it's his world it's his kingdom and we are his people and his church so Keep your eyes on him and not on this world of where you will end up and not where you are right now. And I think God will bless you. Stand with, him, with me, if you will. And let's think about these things and go to the Lord in prayer and sing a song together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great prophets who stood in, in, this, in these wicked times and stood in the gap and made up the hedge. I thank you for them. And Father, may we learn from them also. Because we can live in wicked times. We can, we can live in times and places where God is, uh, the knowledge of God is not known. Leaders don't lead. Where no one practices righteousness. So, Father, we're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the temple of the living God. We have the Holy Spirit. The, uh, our Lord said he'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for these things. And so bless us too, Father, as we walk in this world, that we may be pleasing to you and do your will. We'll thank you always and throughout eternity for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Kent, come and lead us in a song.